You're listening to a podcast from JNNP. This is a JNNP podcast coming from the British Neuropsychiatry Association winter meeting in 2013. And my name is Hugh Rickards. I'm a neuropsychiatrist from Birmingham. And I'm interviewing Professor Eileen Joyce about uh, research updates. And her topic was deep brain stimulation for psychiatric disorder. So welcome, Eileen. Could you just tell us a little bit about the research update about deep brain stimulation in psychiatric disorders? There's an increasing amount of research regarding the utility of this intervention for different forms of mental illness. Just to step back a bit, deep brain stimulation has been used as a procedure for 25 years now, mainly for movement disorders, and increasingly is being used to... Um, treat forms of mental illness and most commonly these are OCD and depression and it must be emphasized that the um, studies have been on people with very severe treatment refractory disorders in other words people who have had OCD or depression for many years around 20 years the severe end of the spectrum in terms of every rating scale that is usually used to um, measure the symptom severity and where other treatments, traditional treatments, have failed to help including pharmacological treatments um, and psychological treatments. So um, what sort of targets have been utilised for this approach? The um, targets have been developed over the years. They were originally based on targets that were used by uh, neurosurgeons when they used to ablate parts of the forebrain and more recently the targets have been refined according to neuroscientific principles in other words what's been found about the neural abnormalities in these disorders and the targets more recently have been aimed at parts of neural circuitry that um, is thought to be abnormal in these conditions. What sort of results have been coming out of these studies, bearing in mind that these are quite treatment refractory patients? In general, no matter what the target is, it seems that between 50 and 60% of individuals fulfil the criteria for a response. In other words, as measured by a a, a certain percentage reduction in their symptoms, for example, using the Yale-Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale, in OCD or the Hamilton depression scale in depression. So given that these are people who've got very severe treatment refractory disorders, the fact that you can improve significantly symptoms in 50 to 60% of these after about a six month period is encouraging. Um, What about side effects, so, because I know from the Parkinson's literature, for instance, the deep brain stimulation can lead to adverse events. So I wonder if you want to say anything about adverse events from these procedures. Um, you can divide the adverse events into two. One is the adverse events secondary to having a neurosurgical procedure. And these are, for example, infection or hemorrhage or the effects of anaesthetic. So they're the sort of common um, adverse events that anybody would be subject to if they had a neurosurgical procedure. They happen, they're, they're pretty rare, but they do, they do obviously occur and a number of patients have had to have their 
electrodes removed because of infections. The second type of adverse event is due to the stimulation itself. In the majority of cases in these reports, these adverse events are transient and can be improved by manipulating the stimulation parameters so that the, the adverse events or the, the side effects of the stimulation itself are no longer existing. So in the long term, there are very few adverse effects due to stimulation itself. They're usually transient and, and happen around the time of stimulus adjustment. What about uh, suicidality? Because certainly in the Parkinson's literature, there's uh, a clear link between subthalamic nuclear stimulation and suicidality. Have we seen that in any of the DBS trials for psychiatric disorders particularly? Of course, the difficulty with trials for depression is that suicide occurs in depression itself. The studies do report suicide, for example, in the Atlantis study of deep brain stimulation in the subgenual cingulate, there were two suicides uh, during the course of the study. When they analysed the differences in these patients from uh, the other patients that uh, did not commit suicide, these are the patients who had a most severe form of the illness, had been hospitalised for longer and had a, had, a, had a more severe course than the others. So it's difficult to know whether stimulation itself may have a causative effect on suicide rate or whether this is something to do with the nature of the illness that there is an attempt for treatment with DBS. It's a particularly hard risk to tease out, I would imagine. I wanted to ask you about the, the nature of the parallel circuitry mm -hmm. in the basal ganglia and the subcortical structures. Um, obviously, you have a situation where you've got uh, motor and psychiatric and cognitive circuitry running at the very least in parallel, but often interconnected one with the other. Do we think that there may be, for instance, motor outcomes to stimulation for psychiatric disorders, just like we have psychiatric outcomes or cognitive outcomes? Do you think that's likely to be the case? Have we seen any evidence of that at all? Well, just to put that in context, the first site for non-motor disorders for DBS was the subthalamic nucleus, and this was used for the treatment of OCD. And the basis of that was on the observation that people with subthalamic nucleus stimulation for Parkinson's disease, two of those patients also had comorbid OCD, which also improved. And there's a study from France looking at DBS in the subthalamic nucleus for OCD. Now, the subthalamic nucleus is this very small nucleus, but you can still parcelated into the sensory motor pathway, the associative pathway and the limbic pathway. So what these um, surgeons did in France was to aim the electrodes more towards the limbic and associative part of the subthalamic nucleus and away from the motor part and they haven't reported any motor side effects in the study report. And um, finally, I wanted to ask you what you would imagine the next 10 years will bring in terms of uh, DBS. Where do you think it's going to be going? What sort of targets or what sort of research applications will come from it? Well, I think that as uh, we understand the neuroscience of the various psychiatric disorders and where the circuitry is abnormal, there'll be an increasing number of targets tried for 
deep brain stimulation, and that and there's already evidence that, that uh, for example, in depression, targeting the habenula, which is a, a possibility given the neuroscience of depression. So that's one side of things. The other side is actually whether there are more indications for deep brain stimulation in other forms of mental illness. And I think this has may become more of an ethical issue. For example, there's arguments that we could treat such things as addiction or even obesity with deep brain stimulation and whether that, that can be thought of as, uh, as forms of mental illness or forms of disorder that would be amenable to this fairly invasive type of surgery I think is going to um, promote a lot of ethical discussion about how far we go with the use of this technique. Okay, Eileen Joyce, thank you very much. Thank you.